The Boys of Tech with Edwin Herman and Brett King. And welcome along to episode 45 of The Boys of Tech for Monday the 30th of November 2009. I'd like to introduce my co-host Brett King. Welcome along. Hello. And this week we do have a guest. When he's not busy paragliding, he's busy owning a little app factory called The Little App Factory, Matt Peterson. Welcome, Matt. G'day. Hey, Matt. It's good to have you on the show. You're coming to us from Sydney, I understand. Yes, indeed. Pretty dusty over there right now, right? Um, not so much anymore, but it was. Yeah, we got a lot of that, I remember. It was a couple of weeks back, a few weeks back now. Yes, uh, late September, I think. Yeah, it's all this red dust coming your way. It's kind of freaky. The photos were pretty cool. <laughs> oh, I can assure you, at my window that morning, it was amazing. I thought there was a fire somewhere. <laughs> like, out my window. <laughs> all right, we've only got a few stories this week. Uh, we'll see what we can do, but also later on in the show, I want to talk to you about KiwiCon over the weekend. I was at KiwiCon. I want to run through a few things from there a little bit later on. First of all, though, uh, I want to talk about your story, Matt. Now, you own a company called The Little App Factory. You make little apps. <laughs> <laughs> it's an app description, yes. <laughs> uh, or is it the factory that's little? I don't know. Uh, and so one of your apps is, I think, iPod Rip. Is that right? Formerly, yes. Uh, Formerly, it's now iRip. It's now iRip. Why, why is it now iRip? Apple sent us a few weeks ago a cease and desist saying that we could not use the trademark iPod in the name anymore. So they don't uh, want you using the word, the, the part iPod in, in your software title? That's correct, yes. So how long have you been since you developed the software? I released it in August 2003. Oh, so this is some time ago, and they've only just, what, realized now or only taken, only started caring now? Well, interestingly enough, uh, they were aware of it from early 2004. We've seen internal emails where they're discussing it, and they've been recommending it since 2004 through their support desk um, via the phone-in and, of course, through the Apple stores. So they're very... They've been very, very aware of it, and I'm sure Steve or even Phil Schiller have uh, uh, decided not to act on it previously in terms of the whole, it could be used for stealing music component, which obviously we don't condone. No, in fact, I saw a little disclaimer there at the bottom on your website saying that, you know, you've got a copying music, you know, is subject to legal restrictions, blah, 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 so you're doing the right mm. thing. Uh, I, I think it is kind of funny. It's kind of ironic, the fact that, they, you know, as you say, they were recommending this. <laughs> oh, yes, they definitely were. Um, in fact, we had an email from a customer which was sent to Apple's lawyers, which basically stated that the customer had a, a PC which had died, the hard drive had died, so they lost all their media, and they were calling up Apple to find a way of copying their music back from their iPod to a new PC, and uh, Apple wouldn't allow them to actually gain advice from them via phone unless they had paid for extra support as their previous Apple Care had run out. And so they went and paid the $50 to gain phone support and then the phone technician immediately recommended iPod Rip. So uh, they've just taken money to recommend us. It's very interesting. Oh, yeah. That's crazy. That's hey, a bit I want- of a, a double standard there. Oh, just a little. <laughs> now, did you also get a, a letter direct from 
Steve Jobs? Or was I always- personally, um, but one of my employees, uh, John Dever, he wrote Steve Jobs an email as a, uh, I guess, a last resort. But basically, we've got the philosophy that we can ask any question to anyone and the least they can say is no. Uh, Steve didn't say no, but he got close enough. And the exact quote I I don't want to say because I've messed it up a number of times, but uh, it's basically saying that it's not a big deal to change the app's name. So that was his stand. It's just like, you know, not a big deal, just change it kind of thing. Yes. Uh, interestingly enough, he sent the email from his personal iPhone at 8.30 p.m. California time. So we're not quite sure what he was doing at that time period. He's probably at home or in transit somewhere, but he, he still answered it. Did you get his IP address? I want to go to some of the guys at KiwiCon. <laughs> <laughs> As you know, with a digital cellular phones, their IP address changes based on the tower. So we have it, but it's useless now. Oh, that's a shame. Uh. <laughs> so what's your take on this whole thing? Do you think, yeah, fair enough? I mean, you know, it's, I, iPod is like a, you know, an Apple trademark. Is, that, is this fair enough? Or, or is this, what, what you, how do you feel? Apart from the fact that you're annoyed that you have to change it. <laughs> well... Under Australian trademark law, um, I'm not sure if you guys have seen this, but uh, Section 122 of the Trademark Act of 1995, it basically says that you can have fair use of a trademark if it is um, the person uses the trademark in good faith to indicate the intended purpose of goods or services. And that is exactly what iPod Rip is. You're allowing a customer to rip their iPod back to their computer. Mm. Um, so under that Trademark Act, we actually have a position to argue that we aren't using it in any form of detrimental usage or whatever you want to call it. And our lawyers have said, hey, you know, we can fight them, but Apple will just drag us through court for the next five years and bankrupt you. So um, we decided just to, you know, do the sensible thing and roll over and continue producing excellent apps, or our opinion, excellent apps. Do you think you've, you would have lost people along the way because people know it as iPod Rip and now it's iRip? Oh, most definitely. Um, you simply look at the traffic to our website over the last couple of weeks and, um, you know, iPod Rip has stayed high or even climbed higher. And as soon as we lose the domain name, we've lost all that iPod Rip traffic. Oh, so you can see this graphically? Oh, yeah. You can just see a, just a drop. It's really obvious, is it? Yep. And obviously this publicity has been good in terms of the iRip brand, but uh, it, it hasn't reached iPod Rip's level at all. I was going to ask you that actually about the the whole publicity with this with this story. You know, it might have actually taken you maybe w- above what you used to have. I don't know, but obviously not yet. You're saying, um, you know, as with all products, it's all about quality and service, and um, you know, we'll just continue focusing on that and hopefully get back to the levels that we used to be. But you know, as soon as we lose the domain name, which will probably happen this week, it's probably the end of the story for. Uh, our old sales levels. Would you ever throw in the towel and decide, oh, right, that's it, not developing for the for any Apple platform, we'll, we'll go develop for, I don't know, Android or Symbian or something? Um, well, it's interesting. One of my friends suggested that now that we've removed iPod from the name that we do go and develop the product for other uh, smartphones and even the Zoom mm. perhaps because we, the name is now flexible enough and we've considered it obviously the current issue is just making sure everything's working this time uh, in a month's time making sure the website's fine and legally abiding and everything like that but you know definitely next year it's something we'll start looking into as supporting other platforms you know i gotta say i think this app is one of the most useful little apps ever because thank you well you're, you're welcome it's 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 true though because you know i've 
I had an iPod. I don't have any more. But I had an iPod once. Fortunately, mm. got stolen. That's another story. But you know what really annoys me is you can't. You know, it's one iTunes library, one iPod. You know, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, it's it's the I I consider it an incredibly huge design flaw, or you know, design philosophy flaw on Apple's part to make them so linked, and that you know you can't sync your iPod with a new you know, installation of iTunes without it wanting to completely remove everything off of your iPod mm. that was already there. It's completely ridiculous. What's oh, the I point agree. of that? Uh, <laughs> what was the point of that? But the it's one of the things that Sony had it as well, uh, where, of course, they own Sony Music, and you remember the old A-track players and things like that. You couldn't mm. copy files without DRM attached. Um, it's the same with Apple because they've obviously got the iTunes store, and all the licenses for the big record labels and things like that. And one of the initial lines of the licenses was that the iPod could not copy music to other computers. And um, that's the reason the limitations are there. If we had sensible copyright laws, then my app wouldn't exist. Oh, so Apple's hands are kind of tied in that respect. Is that what? Oh, yes, definitely. I still think they could have come up with a better way to do it. Even um, if you could just browse your iPod and play it on a machine that wasn't synced to it, you know? Well, yeah, that's that would part be... of the contract. It's ridiculous. Um, and, you know, we're going to cover that later on, aren't we, um, in some of the copyright infringement stuff. But um, mm. I really wish there was a lot more fair use in terms of media. And that's what the Lap Factory has a tendency to aim for, like Rip It and iPod Rip. They're both fair use. You've bought your media. Let's allow you to do whatever you want to do with it. So what are the uh, other apps you've got? You've got a couple of others there as well. Can you tell us about, about them just quickly? Um, we've got two apps, one slightly bigger than the other. Uh, Rip It allows you to take a, an image of your DV, any DVD you have and place it on your computer as a digital backup. So it retains all the menus and the file structure and allows you to uh, play it as many times as you want, um, whatever you want in that regard. And we're about to release an update for it so that you can just take it straight from a DVD to an iPhone format or an Apple TV format or whatever other media player you've got. And um, EVOM is a similar application in that it allows you to take any video you have, so whether that be a flash video or an AVI from your digital camera or, or whatever, and um, put it into a format that works on Apple Goods or the Zoom or whatever. One's free and Rip It isn't free, but um, yeah, they're both little applications that we've made. And we've actually got another useful media application that we're about to release. Can you tell us about that one or is that under wraps? Um, yeah, I feel I can tell you about it. It's not a unique idea in any way, shape, or form, but um, it will go through your iTunes library with a very, very clean interface, work out which of your songs are missing certain data, like your cover art or your album artist, whatever, and then analyze the audio and put all the data in correctly. Can I, <gasps> can I look for duplicates and, and stuff that yep. doesn't exist? Yep. All right, I want that. I I want it indeed. The number of <laughs> the number of tracks in my iTunes library, which are by unknown artist from unknown album. <laughs> yeah, it's because quite it a burden to go through, isn't it? I don't know, I don't know why, but in my iTunes, I keep getting these duplicates. So I'll have a particular track that appears like three times, and I'm like, why? And I I don't know what I do. Well, there was a bug in iTunes seven, I think it was where songs would just duplicate themselves. Oh, maybe um, that was why. Yeah, and if you look in the folders of those duplicated songs, you'll probably find seven or eight copies of them. Um, <laughs> oh, great. 
and only one of them is linking actually to a song. So it's a little bit of fun. We haven't developed any ability to clean out those messy ones, but my iTunes library is 170 gigs. And I have a feeling about 10 gigs of it is duplicates. Wow. So this app that you're talking about, the, the one that's coming to do, that will tidy up all those things, as yep. well as the other stuff you said it would do, that's a, an iPhone app or, or it's a Mac app? It's a Mac and hopefully will be PC app. Oh, okay. So oh, this excellent. is the, what, what you run on your, on your desktop? Yep. Oh, nice. I'll have to get myself a copy. Good stuff. So any idea when that's coming out? Well, it's in final beta now. We're just polishing the UI and things like that. Um, I'm hoping we can get it out within the fortnight. Oh, wow. Awesome. Well, I'll definitely uh, keep an eye out for that. I'll tell you that. Oh, definitely. I'll be sure to shoot you guys a copy. <laughs> oh, wonderful. Awesome. All righty. So there you go. Look, all the best with, uh, I'm not allowed to say iPod rip, with iRip. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah, well, we can't really say it either. In fact, I think I've already said it in this podcast. Do you think Steve is going to send me an email? I hope not. You probably will send me an email. <laughs> maybe I should. Maybe I should call the show iPod Rip, and it'll appear on our on the iTunes, uh, you know, podcast section. Indeed, <laughs> iPod Rip. Now, just I watch rip. for Baker and McKenzie knocking at your door. <laughs> <laughs> All right, maybe I won't. All righty. So now in Sweden, apparently they're seeing some interesting trends. Uh, well, the- they've got some interesting stats, but you know. As with a lot of these stats, you can interpret it however you want. Well, you know, we we you know we talked about some time ago that the the new anti P to P laws in Sweden and how how they were tightening on that sort of stuff, and and now we're seeing a surge in online digital music purchases. So surely, surely is is that not is that not evidence that P to P is bad, and by having these laws that restricts it is a good thing. Well, you know, it's it's there's there's two sides to this uh, set of data, and there's multiple explanations bandied about for it. Because you know, when we first reported on the implementation of their anti-piracy law in Sweden, they had you know a, a massive drop in traffic, internet traffic, plummeted as soon as that iPred came in. But internet traffic is way back up in Sweden again. It's bounced way back up, and it's you know, the amount of internet traffic is exceeding the levels they were before iPred came out. So, you know, I, I think I predicted something like this, the, the rebound effect. The, you did. Everybody yeah. stops. Everybody, you know, the law comes in, everybody stops. Then people start testing the water. Nothing happens. So everything goes back to normal. <laughs> well, it'll be interesting to see if this is P2P traffic because, I mean, we don't know. But yeah, you're, yeah. you're right. It did bounce back up. And it, I mean, it's you bounced can, back up. You can only and assume internet it- sales for music have, are up globally. So, so yeah. yeah. So it'll, That's my question on the matter is um, yeah. what did music sales, digital music sales do? Yes. Well, sorry, last year in Sweden, were they up over 18%? If so, Eighteen percent is normal. Yeah, that's a that's a that's a fair point actually. If they're always going up eighteen percent per per year, or well, actually it was for nine months, uh, well then yeah, I mean you've 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 got no change in your trend. And also, as you said, Brett, uh, you know globally they're up. If globally they're up by eighteen percent over nine months, then hello, where's the story? Oh, well, indeed, they're not globally up by quite that much. They're only up by like you know about five percent or oh, okay. so. Okay, so we do have those figures. All right. Yeah. The, the, graphs are oh, yeah. the graphs are interesting to have a look at. Indeed. And, and, and it is very interesting. You can see the big dip. 
<laughs> Massive dip <laughs> right when they introduced the, the iPred law. And then it's back up to way more than it was back then. Because <laughs> we've said this a number of, a lot of people have said this before, that the, the biggest P2P users are also the biggest music purchasers. Yeah. I imagine that's the case. But uh, it, obviously it just doesn't seem to register with the, the right people. Well, yeah, it's, <laughs> people just aren't um, yeah, taking notice of that. But the, the overall increase in purchasing of digital music is, is a good, you know, it's a, it's a good thing to see. Um, and that at least shows that at least some people in the music industry are actually putting in some effort into that, creating a product that people are actually going to want to purchase and not pirate. There was a news news story which I was thinking about linked to this. Oh, Mini Nova. You guys heard that Mini Nova is now gone? No. Yeah, um, they removed all illegal copies of torrents on their website, uh, I think it was Thursday. And so they've now got 571 legal torrents on the website now, and that's it. So uh, the, the crackdown continues. Indeed it does. Where are they based? I think they were based in Sweden as well. Oh, I see. Okay, I'm with you. Yeah. I think one of the the other interesting things that's mentioned in the story about this, which is goes along with a lot of stuff that uh, a lot of people have been saying, is that there's this increase in purchase of digital music online, and the you know first off drop in P two P and all that sort of thing, and all of that sort of you know that scare tactic came about from. Minimal legal tools. IPRED doesn't go anywhere near as far as any of these three strikes laws that keep coming out for internet disconnection. Especially in the UK. Yeah, yeah. So this this law that Sweden came out with is, is way, way, way softer than what the UK's come out or is, you know, tossing and turning on and what the, um, France has come out with. And it's had a what looks like a significant or, you know, a relatively big impact in Sweden. So, yeah, <laughs> are you going to, is there a need to be incredibly invasive with your copyright laws and your, your legal recourses for rights holders? Or should you go for something like what they did in Sweden, which seems to work fine? Well, isn't all this going to align together? Because, you know, a lot of governments are secretly or maybe not so secretly now, uh, coming together on this ACTA, you know, the Anti-Counterfeiting Trade Agreement. Have you guys? Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Sort of covertly. And, you know, one of the things in that is about the three strikes, I think. There was, you know, and, uh, and from what I understand, the New Zealand government is, is also uh, in, in talks, uh, you know, in terms of ACTA. And mm-hmm. I think what we'll see is probably a lot of countries – uh, aligning to that. I mean, in fact, the the, the parties, But how would they get that through here, at least? Because they've well, already tried it. They tried it once and discovered that it was the the industry itself was said it was unworkable, and so they had to take it out. That was section ninety six, no ninety two A, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah, section ninety two A. Have you heard yeah. of bulldo- bulldozers though? I think that's what they'll do. <laughs> I think they'll bulldoze it through. I really do. Well, I mean, look who's in this. We've got, we've got Australia, yeah. Australia, Canada, the EU, Jordan, Mexico, Morocco, as well as us. We've got Republic of Korea, Singapore, UAE, United States. These a lot of those ones we listed are major trading partners in New Zealand. We mm. wouldn't want to 
go against that. Well, the gov- sorry, the government. But the, the problem would be that. that it would be just another one of those bills that the industry itself doesn't support and can't administer. And yeah, who's going to end up doing it? Who's going to end up looking at any of that sort of thing? It's going to be another waffly piece of paper that nobody pays any attention to. Which is most laws anyway, isn't it? Well, <laughs> you know, <laughs> most laws in this sort of in this sort of matter. It's probably a case of, or probably will be a case. I'm not. I don't understand the because it's not criminal law. It's nothing that the police can enforce. Who's going to enforce yeah. it? You're expecting the industry to enforce it, and the industry have already said they don't support it. It, it doesn't work that way. They can't do it. It's going to cost them too much. It's going to be too difficult for them to maintain. Who gets to say? what's you know what's bad what's not who provides the evidence who pays for all of the administration costs and everything else that goes around that it's <laughs> the industry has said what are you thinking and so if they tried to bulldoze through a, the exact same thing it they well, i really don't think they'd be able to do it but well, once again, up- <laughs> governments do what governments want to all you'd end up having is the consumers paying more the consumers that are doing the right thing paying more for the consumers that aren't doing the right thing. You mean I'll now need to pay thirty nine ninety five for a CD? Yeah, something like that. Yeah. <laughs> I haven't uh, bought a CD in ages. A uh, great solution to all of this would be a universal iTunes store or the equivalent universal Amazon MP3 store where you could buy songs from whichever country you wanted or TV shows or movies from whichever country you wanted in whichever country you wanted. I don't understand why it hasn't been done yet. It's because within the music industry themselves, they all want to control their own domains. Yeah, but <laughs> they it's don't not want to earn them more money. No, oh, indeed, they don't want to let anybody else do their stuff. Mm. They'll do it themselves. <laughs> Which is why they hate iTunes Store so much because they lost control. Yeah, yeah, it was putting the control of that distribution into somebody else's hands, and they did not like that. Tell you what, they got a small. They they got a small one recently. The differential pricing they managed to. To wangle their way through. I mean, but mm. Steve Jobs was arrest- resisting. I was going to say arresting. Probably was. Uh, Steve Jobs was arresting resisting. <laughs> Sorry? Arresting me, yeah. <laughs> yeah, arresting you. <laughs> <laughs> if you could. Uh, yeah, no, Steve Jobs was uh, resisting for a long time, and, and now we've seen differential pricing. We, if, if, we can, if we believe Steve, Steve Jobs, it wasn't his decision. It was something that was kind of, you know, their arms were twisted by the the music industry, so they kind of they kind of and you know the, 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 remember they wanted to at one point just up the average price as well. We want more. We want more. Ninety nine cents US is not enough. No, <laughs> you see, <laughs> lowering the price means more people will buy more, so they will make more overall. Increasing the price, you'll get to the same point as what you have with CDs. People don't buy CDs because they're so, so significantly overpriced for what especially you get. Especially if you only like one song. Yeah, especially if you only like one or two songs from the artist and the rest of it is their experimental phase or, or whatever they were going through. And you would never listen to those anyway. And so you take your CD that you've paid $32, for, <laughs> rip the two songs you want onto MP3, stick them on your iPod, and the CD itself goes sits <laughs> in a box somewhere. <laughs> you know, I've said this before on the, on this show, uh, but I guess there's no harm in saying it again. You know, people have said to me these, pe- you know, people that are really into their music and stuff, and they, you know, these people that listen to vinyl and stuff, and they they come to me and say, "Oh, isn't it terrible how you you just don't get albums anymore?" And I'm like, "Terrible? 
isn't you know and I, I take them through this whole thing about you know but you know I buy a CD it's only got like one or two songs I really want that's all I want why can't I have a choice I mean sure you can I can choose to buy all the songs but I'd like to be able to choose to buy just one or two and they're <laughs> like oh no no the whole thing kind of is one work of art and the, the cover art all works with it together it and, depends and I'm like do people if- really care though in the, in the old days, in the old days, you would have an album that an artist had put a lot of time and effort, blood, sweat, and tears into creating a work of art where all of your tracks flowed together or told some sort of story and they had beautiful cover art and all of that sort of stuff. That died out quite some time ago. You will find a few artists who actually put that kind of effort into it now. The rest of CDs by artists are a hodgepodge of different kinds of songs that they've either played with or whatever that are just stuck onto a CD and given a label. (laughs) Most music these days just doesn't come in that full-on album art form sort of way. Yeah, if you look at Lady Gaga's new album, I think there's, what, five unique brand new songs in it and the rest are remixes of the last album. Mm Mm-hmm. What use is that? Yeah. Then again, you've got the flip side. I don't know if you guys are aware of Muse's new album. That was a fantastic album. Yeah. It's a standalone piece of work, um, but it's so very, very rare. Yep. It is so very rare for an artist to actually put in that work to create that coordinated album experience. And in those situations, you really want that entire experience. But for the vast majority, you just want the two songs on the album that you like and be damned with the rest of it. Why should I pay for it? I don't know. I'm never going to listen to it. That's right. I think there are two There are two parts to my point. One is these days, and you, as you said it, Brett, these days the majority just isn't in that area at all. And secondly, to me it's about choice. It's like why do you want to force me to buy an album? I mean, I can choose to. Precisely. Yeah? Indeed. So, you can choose to buy all of them and have the full experience if it's – that way, but even in in the example of the, the 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 new Muse album, if you only liked one of the songs and you didn't like any of the others at all for whatever reason, why should you be forced to buy the entire thing if it's available online individually? So we've veered off track a little bit from Sweden to Cupertino, but uh, coming back <laughs> to Sweden, what's the verdict then? Is it doesn't really mean anything, right? The the fact that uh, they're buying more music all of a sudden and they had this. You can more. read a lot into it. And you can't, you cannot base it on any single thing. There are yeah, so many think, different factors to it. I think you need more context on the statistics because right now they're just too vague. Mm. I think I'm with you on that. I'll agree. They're buying more digitally, but peer to peer traffic's gone back up as well. People are buying more globally. Peer to peer traffic's gone up as well. <laughs> I think. A lot of it has to do with uh, the comfort level of people with the internet. Obviously, these days, more and more people are becoming comfortable with it, so they'll go and buy more stuff. Mm. Whereas previously, you know, someone like you or I, or you guys or I, sorry, would, you know, we'd feel comfortable buying music online. And so we'd also feel comfortable stealing music online. So we probably were the ones doing all the stealing and all the buying. Now it's becoming more people doing more buying just because it's, you know, a comfort zone for them. Mm. So, uh, now, we haven't been sucked into a black hole yet. No, but they have been doing actual real science, finally. Yeah, the Large Hadron Collider has been fired up and we have collisions. Wow, this this is kind of cool. This is really interesting stuff. This is, I think this is great. At least they didn't break it again. 
Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Obviously, the the universe has finally decided that yes, it is now time for the the LHC to actually work. <laughs> of course. If you buy into that, you know, that theory that was going around, the rumor going around for ages, <laughs> that the reason it kept breaking was that whole paradox thing. The universe does not want it to work so the unit because it would destroy the universe. So the universe stops it from working. Well, obviously, that was wrong. <laughs> there's a problem there because it's not yet to full speed, so maybe the universe is not going to let it get to full speed. Uh, we'll see another meltdown. Yeah, could be. <laughs> I've got some fun. Actually, I, t- I took a tour there some years ago. It's an amazing place. But you know what? It's also amazing, amazingly insecure. Well, I guess I was wandering around in areas that were kind of low security anyway, but it's kind of like yeah, a, did it's you kind manage of like to a, get down to the LHC? Oh, well, no. Oh, no, okay, of course not. But it, it's, kind of, it's kind of like a university. You can kind of wander into buildings and stuff and mm. kind of wander around. Yeah. And it's, it's, like, it's a big, it, it is, yeah, very big, very public. But, at least the Europeans aren't as pedantic as the Americans are. Oh yeah, imagine <laughs> the metal detectors you'd have to go through, and the the body scanners, and, uh-huh. and imagine they, 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 the <laughs> imagine the Marines with the M16s you'd have to pass before you even got to the car parking. Oh, lot. exactly. Yeah, if you get them in the airport in like Los Angeles, then of course you're going to get them all around the a hadron, well, American yes. version of the LHC. <laughs> yeah, and make sure you stand properly on that wee balance board too, because otherwise you're out. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Man. Um, did you guys read in depth what happened with the the accident, I guess, and the forces that were involved? When the uh, magnets were quenched, obviously the, the liquid helium uh, decided to change from a liquid to a gas. <laughs> and the sheer amount of energy involved in that quenching, I think it was in the order of six tons of force, um, were produced <laughs> just by flashing from liquid to gas. And that moved you know, these thousand ton magnets quite a distance. <laughs> oh dear. It was, I've forgotten the exact joules of energy that are in each of these magnets, but you know, it's like the equivalent of a city's, a small city electricity bill for a day, sorry, usage for a day in each magnet, just disappearing in an instant being turned into heat. So, uh, <laughs> it's, you know, tremendous amounts of energy and they had 70 odd magnets do it all at once. <laughs> oh man, that's bad. That's really yes. bad. <laughs> well, they managed to fix it. Yeah, crossing our fingers. In fact, I didn't <laughs> think they were going to get it online before the end of the year. But mm, no. before Christmas, yeah. Mm. They didn't think they were going to get it online before before the end of the year. Well, yeah, but they have, and you know, they've fired it up, had collisions, and they've already started accelerating. You know, I've started taking bets with people at work that there's going to be a black hole and w- when I get proved wrong, you know, I'll pay up. <laughs> well, in fact, but whoever's right, when do they get to collect? Well, you know. <laughs> Are you betting on the wrong side here? Because they will actually produce little black holes in, in theory. They just evaporate very quickly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you're right. To be more technically correct, the the, the question is uh, of, of you know of a critical size that that oh, will yeah. yeah. As long as you're putting a, that in your bets, yeah, yeah I'll have indeed, to, I'll have to write. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I have to be careful how I write that out. But uh, yeah, I mean, it's I, I just like the way they say that you know there's uh, I can't remember the exact quote, but it was something along the lines of uh, we're pretty sure that we're not gonna that the world's not gonna get sucked into a black hole. 
like pretty <laughs> sure or like it's not going to happen you know it's like we're pretty well, sure pretty sure <laughs> well it's science you can never be a hundred percent until you've seen it <laughs> yeah, until the test happens yeah it's, it's not fact until it's been thoroughly tested it reminds me of when the first atomic bomb went off trinity in the united states oh uh, yeah the they thought that was going to destroy the world too yeah the scientists uh, <laughs> one of the bits was that it would make the atmosphere catch fire and that the, the earth would be incinerated um, of course you know it's a possibility <laughs> but it's unlikely well if you go back further Trains weren't supposed to be around. Uh, steam trains were supposed to basically fry all the the, uh, the livestock in the countryside. Mm. Well, if you go back, you know, the beginning of the automobiles, they thought if you went over a certain speed limit, you you wouldn't be able to breathe anymore. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, as long as we can still confirm that the world is flat, I'm happy. Yeah. <laughs> Alrighty, one last story for for this week before we talk about KiwiCon. There's been a there's a pub that was in the UK that was fined, I think, eight thousand pounds because they were offering free wireless access, and somebody and this is the keyword somebody downloaded some copyrighted material over it. This is just stupid, don't you think? Well, it is bizarre. Yes, it it, it is quite bizarre. It is the the medium being f- punished for. You know, an end user's crime. The thing is, I guess weird. I I guess that's that's like saying that that's like finding the manufacturer of the hammer that was used in a robbery. Well, I think you know you could look at it two ways, and I'll just play devil's advocate for a while. You could say, well, look, if you're going to provide a service, you should be you know taking responsibility and logging you know things. You could log MAC addresses and access and URLs and something. Then you get into all kinds of privacy issues. Yeah. With logging. But your ISP. Sort of stuff. Well, Most of our ISPs actually don't log anything. In the United States, yes, a lot of it happens. But in our two countries, not so much at all. Um, find you, they'll log when a connection starts and when a connection ends just for troubleshooting. But that's about it. Well, I think in New Zealand, most of it just goes straight down to Wyhopian or whatever it's called, Spy Valley, and then out to the US, and that's where it gets logged. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> They'll be listening to this podcast, obviously. Oh, they will, yeah. Hi, well, NSA. Like a computer will. <laughs> yeah. A computer will. So what are the – do they have uh, voice recognition for certain words, do you think? Yes, indeed. Can we do. mess with that? Uh, if you want to be visited, go for it. Well, I don't know if they probably understand your accent. <laughs> oh, oh yeah, I have to put an American accent. Yeah, they, yeah. <laughs> well, you know the whole born identity thing, where uh, they pick up the keyword um, via voice communications. In theory, it's doable. Uh, yeah, they do it or not? It's a scary question. Mm. I think there's a lot that goes on that we don't know. A lot of data mining that goes on, uh, and you know, probably a lot of it doesn't amount to anything. Well, Google. Well, yeah, yeah, that's true. That is a huge. That's a huge amount of information. Yeah the, yeah, the big brother is always watching these days. Well, actually, from that story, there's a follow-up from it uh, about you know a, a law expert, a university law expert, weighing in on the issue of you know warning people who provide open Wi-Fi. Yep. And yeah, he's basically going that uh, right now, people who provide open Wi-Fi are probably fine with the data retention laws, but because of the the changes to the copyright system and the implementations in the UK, it has just opened up that big 
kettle of fish for issuing copyright infringement warnings and taking civil cases against people who provide the internet service themselves instead of the end user who actually commits the crime. So, One of my primary things is I'm an investor, so I think about economics a lot. And um, when you think about Australia and New Zealand and even the United States, the media industry is actually very, very, very small in terms of dollars. Yet the amount our government spend on copyrights and trademarks and enacting laws and things like that is ludicrous. Um, yeah. The, you know, the automobile industry in Australia is bigger than the media industry, and yet we've only got two factories producing automobiles. Uh, not that I'm condoning that at all, but tourism is much, much bigger in New Zealand than it is than the media industry is. So why aren't they focusing more on, you know, making tourism better than, you know, trying to sue every person on the continent who believes in stealing stuff or borrowing things, whatever you want to call it. Mm. Um, and economically, it's just not correct. It doesn't work long term. Well, just going off that, what worries me a little bit is that because New Zealand and to some extent Australia as well, uh, because we're so far away from the rest of the world, yet we rely so much on tourism, what worries me is with with the whole carbon thing, you know, getting here is, is going to get more and more expensive. And uh, it kind of worries me a little bit that our tourism industry is so vulnerable. Yeah. Or could, or could potentially mm, be so vulnerable. So very vulnerable to this, the, 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 all of the, you know, climate change, carbon offsets stuff. And, e- is, and even if it's not the, the carbon taxes that come into force, we have finite resources for, for oil, right? Yeah. Uh, and whether they're depleting at the rate that we think they are is another question. But what we do know is that we do have a finite, there is a limit. And so the scarcer that these fuels get, the, the higher the price. And mm-hmm. there's going to be a time well, when, when it's going to be just not worth coming to New Zealand by, you know. Well, yeah, all of this sort of stuff makes you wonder why people are not putting more effort into finding alternatives. You know, yeah. real effort into finding alternatives to those fossil fuels. Because looking into, you know, um, electricity generation, solar, wind, hydro, and all that sort of stuff is brilliant for those stable land-based systems. But you're not going to want a solar-powered airplane. Not yet. Yeah, <laughs> n- not yet. Not unless you've got some, you know, the, the battery technology has advanced enough that the plane can be charged on the runway and then fly around the world without having to, you know, be in the sunlight all the time. Mm. <laughs> well, so, there was actually a project that NASA had, I'm sure you guys are aware of it, the, the solar-powered plane, and it was ultra lightweight, ultra flimsy, and in fact, it flew into a storm and was destroyed. Yes, and, yes, I, I, I do recall that plane. Yeah. Quite <laughs> so, an amazing piece of technology, but yes, to make it, to make it fly... With electric engines, it had to be so very light because it had to be so very big to support enough solar panels to provide enough electricity to fly it. Mm. <laughs> oh, that was an unmanned prototype. Yeah, an yeah. unmanned prototype, but it was huge and incredibly flimsy and light because the sheer surface area needed to catch enough solar rays to provide enough <laughs> energy to these little electric motors that it had. Mm. Um, which comes to, to something I've been pondering a lot uh, as of late. I believe economies go through three phases. Number one is agricultural. Number two is industrial. Number three is service. In both of our countries, we're spending a lot of, the governments are spending a lot of money subsidizing agriculture. When as removed as we are from the rest of the world, 
the things we want to be promoting in services, we want to be promoting IT, we want to be promoting science, we want to be promoting pharmaceuticals. And those are the things that will allow us to have a minimal impact on the world, but at the same time produce advances that we can power our economies on. Mm. Um, and yet both of our countries are doing the backwards thing. Even Australia very much so is providing subsidies for the car industry when, you know, only a couple of companies in the world can produce money from the car industry. It's ridiculous. Yeah. So, uh, you know, if we could actually inform our governments that they're, you know, they're not being forward thinking enough, they're not promoting what we need in 20 years time, then it's almost pointless. I've often had some thoughts uh, along those lines, but, you know, in terms of the, you know, overpopulation, do you think that agriculture will become the thing, you know, food and crops is going to be the, the most valuable industry? Water, yes. But food yeah, and water, crops... water actually, I uh, definitely agree as well. You know, I'm not sure if you guys have seen the second most recent Scientific American, but they have an entire article on vertical farms. I'd never thought about this before, but oh. you can build farms vertically like skyscrapers, and there goes the landmass issue instantly. You know what? Yeah. I, I had never thought of that. That's a, no, that kind of makes yeah. sense when you think about it. Yeah. Yeah, big hanging hydroponic things. For, yeah, of for, course. They can be greenhouses as well, vertical mm-hmm. greenhouses, which are more efficient. Yeah, of course. Uh, yeah. So I'm not concerned about agriculture anymore. I'm concerned about water. Yeah, water, I, I yeah. agree. But, you know, if we have enough energy, then desalinization is always a, a possibility. Yeah, it is. Very expensive currently, but... Yeah, very yeah. expensive because it is. it takes a lot of power to do it. A lot of energy, and, yeah. Yeah, a lot of energy to do it. And you know what's so smack cheaper. bang in the middle of Australia? Lots and lots and lots of sunlight. And Indeed. If we can build a huge solar farm with superconducting electricity cables to Asia and obviously New Zealand, we never have to consider power ever again. It'll become ridiculously cheap, ridiculously reliable, because you can just store it in huge superconducting coils. And, you know, why aren't we doing that? But mm. Just make sure they elevate it enough so the kangaroos don't jump on them. <laughs> I don't jump in front of my car. I'm okay. <laughs> Even hitting though, kangaroos and yeah. hitting all kinds of things is a danger driving in the outback. Mm. Well, there's just in the Blue Mountains, an hour and a half away from Sydney. Um, I was driving down to the caves one day, and a kangaroo popped out in a blind corner. There's nothing you can do. Yeah. See, here we have possums, but they don't beat car. Car no. beats possums. <laughs> squish. But uh, yeah, actually, one of my friends who works at Apple, big fan of New Zealand, he's travelled there several times and actually wants to move there, mainly because there are no spiders, there are no snakes, and everyone's really, really friendly. So you know, yeah. that should be something New Zealand should be promoting: the fact that they're one of the friendliest nations on the planet. <laughs> and we oh, don't have that many deadly things at all. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> you know what? I, it's it's funny you say that because. The two times I've been to Australia, absolutely loved it. Went to, in fact, went to Australia Zoo, saw Steve Irwin doing his thing. And uh, anyway, travelled around a little bit, not a lot, but a little bit. Absolutely loved it. Had a great time. The, the climate's great. You guys have got a good economy. Absolutely fantastic. People, as you said you know, about us, I think we can say the same thing about Australians. Very friendly people. And, you know, when you travel, when Australians and Kiwis go around 
to other parts of the world, you know, those are the sorts of compliments that we hear back. Oh, indeed, yeah. But, <laughs> but I, I must we say, down under, we we are very well liked in other places because we are kind and courteous and so unlike anybody from anywhere else. Well, that's right. <laughs> but uh, you know, I kind of think, you know, would I would I live in Australia? And I'd like to, but then. Maybe I'm just a wimp, but I, I think about the sp- spiders. I think about the crocodiles. You think about, think about the spiders. The you think about the snakes. Yeah. Yes. And I, I kind of get a yeah. little yeah. nervous, you know. I was paintballing yesterday. I, I completely feel for you. Yeah. <laughs> I was paintballing yesterday in the bush, and um, the only lethal thing I saw was a lizard climb out of the tree right next to me. And he's not really lethal. <laughs> he's a good one. It was like, you know, half a meter long, a nice size, but I was just afraid I was going to accidentally shoot it. <laughs> uh, I think I've had... Yes, but I bet if you go outside and you, you know, look around your, <laughs> look around where you live, you'll be able to find some spiders. Oh, <laughs> that I live happen. in Manly, so I've got sharks. Yeah, but, um, <laughs> ah, well, there you go. <laughs> I've actually only run into funnel web spiders three times over the last 25 years, and twice was at the bottom of our swimming pool. <laughs> It's always a surprise. It's, you know, you guys probably don't have to check, but when we get into swimming pools up in the northern suburbs, we have to check for spiders first. Well, we don't, we don't have to check, but we don't have swimming pools. It's just not warm enough here. Oh, that's true, yes. <laughs> oh, speak for yourself. Well, okay, I'm, I'm exaggerating. Yeah, well, okay, Wellington, isn't You wouldn't want a swimming pool here in Wellington, would you? <laughs> well, no, not in Wellington, but further up the coast, yes. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> Unfortunately, I've yet to visit your lovely country. Oh, you definitely have to come over. Yeah. We're very friendly people. Tell you That's what, I'll uh, tell you what, Matt, if you ever come to New Zealand, when you do, we'll do a show with you live here in the studio. How's that? Yeah, sounds fun. Cool. <laughs> Thank you for the invite. You're welcome. All righty. So before we wrap up, we just wanted to cover some of the things that were covered in KiwiCon. Uh, now, I must say, you know, the, it's uh, kind of scary hanging hang out with a whole bunch of hackers all dressed in black. I was obviously wearing the wrong colour. I had a tan <laughs> polo shirt on. <laughs> no one told me. They were actually all dressed in black. Wow. Pretty much. No <laughs> you, one told me about this black thing. I should have well, I should have not known. know the dress code. Oh, you should have known. Hey, I'll tell you what would have got me thrown out is if I wore a shirt and tie. <laughs> <laughs> I'd have been out the door. But look, no, I knew that much. Uh, no, it's, it's, they're kind of interesting people. Uh, very, very smart people. Sometimes I kind of think they do some very dumb things. But they're very smart. One of the discussions that I thought was kind of interesting, and we, I don't know if we might have talked about this on, on one of our previous episodes, is how right now the media is really fighting to, to be first to break a story. And so the problem is, is that they don't check facts anymore. There is no fact checking. Mm. You know, uh, people will, will, will say, say things on Facebook or on Twitter, and the media will just take the bait and run with it. Yep. And in fact, in fact, I'll tell you one of the funny things they did is one of the guys in the, in the conference decided to tweet that there was a fire at KiwiCon. And before we knew it, within minutes, people had retweeted this. And there was this like, oh, there's, fire at, there's a fire at, at KiwiCon. And then after that, someone had, someone had tweeted and posted a, a photo of an ambulance, you know, rushing through Wellington streets. And it's like, the next tweets after that were police and they're in, in attendance, there are evacuations. It's like, <laughs> what? Where did this come from? Well, I know where it came from. It came from one guy who just made up a little lie. <laughs> now, okay, this, the media, there was no, you know, it didn't make it to the New Zealand Herald or anything like that, but it was a good demonstration of how that these kind of stories do make it to, to the media, to the mainstream media, because mm-hmm. 
you know, it's it's all about timing and less about yeah, facts. Yeah, it's all about that being the first to report it, whether it's true or not. And then, you know, in the follow-up issue, there might be a small article on one of the internal pages which retracts some of the stuff which was said in a previous article. Very small. Yes. <laughs> oh, I think it was also the case with the article that was written about us. It went from an email exchange to an article within two hours, which for something that involves legal work, it involves uh, you know, overseas trademarks, uh, mm-hmm. was very, very quick. So what else happened? So what else happened? Well, there was a lockpicking session. I successfully opened a lock by bumping, which is, I guess, not the most smartest way of doing it. But hey, you know. Well, you can definitely tell if somebody's bumped. Well, generally tell if somebody's bumped a lock. Well, you can very easily, you know, break the lock. You know, yes. You can very easily break things. So, uh, But it was, kind of, it was kind of interesting. And uh, you know, all the, the tools that they use and stuff like that. They had some demo, uh, some demo locks that were basically perspex, so you could see the the pins. So for people <laughs> who don't know how locks work and stuff, oh, excellent. So it's kind of nice, yeah. And then there was there was like a a perspex safe wheel, you know, when you, you know, four times to the right, you know, to a certain number, three times to yeah. the left, a certain number, and so on. So for people who don't know so how those work, you can see you can see the mechanism. That's right. Oh, yeah. excellent. An interesting thing that one guy did and, and talked about was how he basically mapped, he did this map of the entire .nz namespace, basically New Zealand-based IPs. And what he did is he, he basically port scanned them all, in effect. And yep. what was interesting is what he found, uh, all the stuff that was out there and uh, things you can query. Uh, you know, you can. It's very easy to find people that are running a certain version of PHP and certain you know, unpatched versions of IAS, things like that. It's So he's got this huge database now of stuff. He can just look, you know, if he wants to exploit something, right, just do a quick, quick uh, database query and there you go. You've got, uh, I don't know, 20 different servers. Uh, take your pick. <laughs> so just a huge data mining exercise there, which was kind of interesting. What to do with the data, he says. Well, you know, if anyone has any suggestions, what would you do with it? Tell people to fix their computers. Yeah, it'd be a great way to send all of the people who own those machines <laughs> nice notices saying, "Hey, you're running really old, crappy versions of stuff. Why don't you upgrade?" Well, yeah, you know what Microsoft can do for PR. They could send people running really dodgy versions of Windows 2000 or Windows XP or whatever a free copy of Windows Seven. Well, that would mm-hmm. be good. Of course, they won't because they don't <laughs> do nice things anymore. But no. <laughs> <laughs> or at least not to people down here. <laughs> this yeah. this half of the world doesn't get the niceties. Oh, mm. you're just bitter that you didn't get your your cheap Windows Seven. You well, yeah. Well, I don't blame you though. <laughs> <laughs> we didn't get those deals, did we? Did they have them in a, in Australia, Matt? Does I'm unaware as I'm a Mac user. Oh, okay. Oh, you like me? All right. Uh, what else? Uh, what else went on then? Oh yeah, one guy had some developed some software that. Well, how do I describe it? You basically punch in some stuff you know about someone and it goes and finds a whole heap more. Now, how does it do it? Well, it kind of uses certain heuristics and things. It looks at, uh, well, it does Google searches. It it looks at Facebook profiles, Twitter profiles. And there's a whole heap of kind of logic that works in and a whole bunch of mathematics that you know, calculates percentages and well, probabilities and things like that. And, you know, when it finds something on Twitter and finds something on Facebook, is it the same person? 
well, you, you through a whole bunch of logic and based on other stuff you've found, you can work out probabilities and, and it goes down the, the paths with the most probabilities and, look, and does further searches on that and it just keeps going this huge iterative loop. And it's, it's really interesting because you can punch in some stuff about a person and if you're doing this manually, it takes you a long, long, long time. You know, I don't know if you've ever tried cyber-stalking anyone. Has anyone done that recently? No one's well, done no. that. <laughs> <laughs> Only you, Ed. Only you. <laughs> so, yeah, uh, it, it takes a long, long time. And this tool, okay, it's not perfect. It doesn't give you like, okay, here's everything about this person and nothing else. But it gives you a lot of stuff, a lot more stuff about a, a person and you know a, a little bit of other stuff as well that you can just filter out very easily. So it's kind of interesting how he's done that. <laughs> so one of those brilliant tools to um, put in front of somebody and go, put your name in here, and then go, this is what's about you on the internet. Yeah, well, no, no one, no one. <laughs> Think one, about <laughs> what you're putting on Twitter. Exactly. Well, this is <laughs> and the thing. Facebook. Yeah. Oh, what? Because what people often do is they'll spread out information or uh, they'll they'll lie about certain pieces of information that might change over time so they might have been on facebook with their real age then they sign up to twitter and put a different agent well actually there's no place for an age but well, they might say their age in a tweet and it's the wrong age and so there's a mismatch but this tool can sometimes get around that because it all it kind of relies on everything as the whole you know kind of everything hooks in you know what mm-hmm. i mean so often the it can sort of override that and say well okay there's a lot of other stuff that kind of matches even though the ages don't, I'm going to assume that that is the same person and they've lied about their age and so on. And uh, yeah, very interesting. Sounds like the last two stories, they should combine the database with this new search tool. <laughs> yeah, there's an idea. <laughs> yeah. Another guy showed us some, some interesting stuff on intercepting pager data. Now, the technique for in- intercepting pager data is really simple and that's not what he was showing us. It's unencrypted stuff. It, it even described... He gave us the frequencies it works on and, and the different board rates. You know, with a bit of software and an antenna, you can put a hardware in between. You can you can pretty much decode stuff. The interesting stuff is what he got. And, yeah, it was the boring stuff like, you know, uh, call, call so-and-so and a name, not much information. There was other stuff like from emergency services, you know, female patient, 29, conscious breathing, blah, blah, blah. And then there was... Uh, some really worrying stuff like there was some security companies that had messages being paged out like alarm an address and then like a pin number <laughs> which is either for the building or to switch off the alarm because they don't realize that the pager system is unencrypted well i don't it makes you wonder it makes you wonder <laughs> i imagine not did you um see the story very similar about the pages that Pager messages, sorry, that were found and posted on WikiLeaks from oh, September 11. 9-11, yeah. No, look, I didn't, I heard about the story, but I didn't look at the, the, the data itself. Did Did you look at that? I haven't looked at it, but um, it was on Dig, and of course Dig people went through it, and they did find some quite interesting pages. Yeah, one of the guys at the, the conference actually looked at those messages as well. Again, from, from an IT security point of view, like there was some really interesting auto alerts and stuff that, that were just in there, just in the mix. And this is kind mm. of the same same sort of thing. Uh, and one of them, in fact, sent out a root password. It said such and such host down, uh, root password, blah. It's like, right, okay. Lovely. Yeah, <laughs> lovely. Excellent. So, so really wow. easy stuff. And, you know, this. The, I think intercepting pages is one of the easiest things to do. 
<laughs> Are you recommending it? <laughs> <laughs> Just one last thing as well. Uh, that, uh, this is my favorite one from, from KiwiCon. What I picked up is a demonstration on how shared hosting is bad. You really want to have your own virtual private server if you can avoid shared hosting. One of the things, one of the examples they did is say someone's on a particular hosting company, they've got domain.co.nz. And so mm-hmm. they go into the control panel and configure their DNS for domain.co.nz, et cetera, et cetera. And they're, they're all happy, working fine. Now, if you want to target this person, what you do is you sign up to the same shared hosting company. And they did, the, they did this live as a demo. And so you, you jump onto this hosting company and you set up an account, you, you pay your money and, and so on. Then you go into the DNS settings and you know, the, the demo was, okay, let's try and see if we can change their, the person's mail system. So you might have something like mx1.domain.co.nz. Oh, no, it doesn't belong to you. You can't change it. All right. What about if I just set up the whole domain again under my account? So you type in, you know, try and configure domain.co.nz. No, sorry, it belongs to another user. Okay. How about co.nz? Yep. You can set up co.nz on the same server. <laughs> My initial thought was, oh, great, you can basically break their site. But it, it gets smarter. What you do is you tweak the MX record in the DNS to point to your server and you simply relay that back to their mail server. So you're intercepting their mail and they don't know it. Because whoever looks at their, whether their MX records are changed, no one looks at that. Right. <laughs> now that you've intercepted their mail, you can get things like password reset. You go into Google and pretend to be them, do a password reset, comes through your way. Awesome. Got everything. <laughs> and that's where you start. Then, yeah, you go from there. Gotta love how insecure the technology is. Yeah. Yes. And I think that that all comes from the fact that whatever version of you know, cPanel or whatever it was that the hosting company is using doesn't understand that New Zealand runs three levels, you know, that you register at the third level domain.co.nz yeah. so it lets you do things like co.nz in fact some of them I, I was told that they let you actually register the top level as well like you can go nz or, or even net things like that <laughs> so it's like why oh that's awesome absolutely it's, it's so bad I know when, when you hear the stuff you think come on this is it's like wow this how basic? could that have gone through oh. how could that have gone through <laughs> it's almost uh, too you know, it's almost too stupid to be believable, but there you go. Yeah. Well, it's often the, the greatest acts of stupidity of the ones that exist, especially when it comes to software security. Yeah. And those are the ones that come out in, in things like KiwiCon and, and some of the other hacker conferences as well. So it makes them interesting. Mm. All righty. One last thing before we wrap up the show, Brett, you know, we talked about, I think was it uh, episode number 42 about a lose-lose game? Indeed we did. What was it, a game for the Mac? Yeah. It was a Mac game written by a grad student, I believe, as part of his thesis. And it was a game that, as you played it, to progress in the game, you destroy aliens in the Space Invaders, and each of those aliens represents a file on your computer. So as you play the game, you destroy your own stuff. I called it Idiotware, if I <laughs> yeah, that's recall. Right. Idiotware, that was your, your term for that. Well, you know, we, we did say in the in the same show that we should because we came up with an idea didn't we that what you could do is have this on a you know a network version and you can a network play, version yeah a random person their, and destroy you, their uh, computer. randomly destroyed their files that's right and we said we'd email him with that suggestion we did he's come back and i'll just read you his reply he said hey sorry about the late response i listened to the chat in your episode very entertaining thank you that's what this podcast is about uh, a lot of people have been emailing me to say that we should i should do a network version 
goes on to say that, look, he hasn't really got the time, but hey, it'd be really awesome if someone else wants to take the idea and run with it. So there you go. <laughs> so if anybody out there wants to um, create a version of it, I'll, we'll sign up and play. Oh, yeah. <laughs> on a VM. Yes, on a VM. I'm not destroying my real machine. Thank you very yeah. much. <laughs> All right, I think that's pretty much it then for, for this week. Uh, Matt, I'd like to thank you very much for being our guest this week. Uh, thanks very much. It's been great. You're welcome. Hey, what's the best way to get hold of your apps? TLAF.com, littleappfactory.com. The short URL is the best. You don't have to type as much. Oh, I like that. I'm, <laughs> yes. I'm into that. TLAF.com, which is short for the Little App Factory. Yep. Right, and just I've got to ask you this. You said you go paragliding. I'd love to do that. I, I never had a chance to do it. Have you ever been on the net paragliding on a laptop? Uh, no. Um, <laughs> I have been on my iPhone. Does that count? <laughs> yes, it what? does. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you have been on the net while paragliding. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I actually used the GPS on my iPhone to tell me my altitude. So oh, great. I thought does, that was pretty geeky. Hey, that's kind of cool. How, how, well, how accurate is that for altitude? Um, when you're at altitude, you get to see perhaps six to seven satellites. So you can tell you within... 30 centimeters of where you are. Is that right? Mm. Hey, that's you don't have cool. any mountains and stuff blocking you out. It's just unrestricted to the horizon. Excellent. That's kind of cool. That's and very you, cool. And I take it you can kind of you can see how fast you're going and stuff like that. Oh yeah, and it also plots in 3D your course. This application that I use. Oh, that's I think awesome. It's GPS kit. So um, yeah, it works really well. I haven't, I didn't write it, but there's a plug for him. <laughs> Good stuff. GPS kit. Awesome. All right. Thank you very much, Matt. Brett, also I want to thank you for co-hosting the show with me once again. Not a problem. All right. Thank you to everyone out there listening to us, and we'll see you all again next week. Till then, take care. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.